You're listening to Stanford Out Loud. We bring you stories from Stanford Magazine featuring voices of our campus community. I'm your host, Kevin Cool, editor of Stanford Magazine. Today's story will be read by Dr. Robert Siegel, professor of microbiology and immunology at Stanford. This story is about an outbreak of typhoid fever on the Stanford campus. Typhoid plays an important role in Stanford history since Leland Stanford Jr. died of typhoid. It turns out that what Leland Stanford Jr. actually died of was Salmonella enterica serovar typhi, which is what causes typhoid fever. And just by coincidence, my PhD dissertation was actually also on Salmonella, so on the same genus of bacteria. So this was fun to be able to do this story. Here's the story. By all indications, the spring of 1903 should have been a happy time for 12-year-old Stanford University. The previous fall's freshman class was the largest yet. Memorial Church and a new chemistry building had just opened. Parents and the public were proud of Stanford's modern plumbing and the artisanal sources of their water supply. They thought the university was the healthiest and most picturesque in the country. But just up the road was a very different picture. Like many, the Serpa family had no indoor toilet and little money for doctors. A relative came to visit from San Francisco and fell ill. Soon, Mrs. Serpa and two of her children became sick with the same symptoms. Fever, chills, headache, bowel trouble, nausea. It was typhoid. Within weeks, all four were dead. Well-meaning visitors came to offer their condolences, including the Pereros, dairy farmers who lived about four miles from Palo Alto. By January, their child was also sick. Lacking indoor plumbing, the Pereiro family tossed its household waste into the banks of nearby Los Trancos Creek, the same water source that Mr. Pereiro used to rinse out his milk cans. As March 1903 wore on, Physicians began seeing two new typhoid cases each day. By early April, they were seeing a dozen new cases a day or more in the combined campus and town population of 3,500 people. The Palo Alto Board of Health ordered tests on the local water supply. When the test showed no contamination, the focus shifted to one food common to nearly all the patients, milk from the Pereiro farm delivered by the local milkman on his horse-drawn cart. In her 1959 History of the University, English professor Edith Merrilies described the first two Stanford student casualties. An instructor noted two men in his class looking heavy-eyed and inattentive. Several times during the hour, he glanced at them, liking what he saw less and less. As the two passed his desk at the hour's end, He stopped them to ask if they felt sick. Both denied it. They had been sitting up late. They supposed they looked sleepy. By the next day, denials were useless. The two were unquestionably sick. So were others in the same fraternity. So were several in Encina, several among the students living in Palo Alto, and others in Palo Alto who were not students. Nineteen years earlier, University founder Jane Stanford had watched helplessly while her 15-year-old son succumbed to typhoid in Florence, Italy. 
Now, despite improvements in medicine and public sanitation, the disease was threatening hundreds of students on the California campus that bore Leland Stanford Jr.'s name. Ray Lyman Wilbur was not accustomed to taking the law into his own hands, but there he was, mild-mannered campus physician and future university president, standing guard with a shotgun at 4.30 in the morning over a fetid barnyard in the Palo Alto foothills. Days after students on the Stanford campus had begun to collapse with fever and stabbing abdominal pain, Wilbur was taking no chances. The Perero Dairy had to be shut down. Dr. Wilbur was no stranger to infectious diseases. As a physiology professor and part-time campus physician, he had nursed Stanford students through small outbreaks of diphtheria, polio, and smallpox. But these new typhoid cases seemed particularly ominous. Earlier that year, typhoid at Cornell University had sickened nearly 1,000 students and nearby residents. Stanford was just as vulnerable, and it had far fewer resources. Jane Stanford had long opposed the opening of an infirmary on campus, fearing that it would hurt Stanford's reputation as a healthful place. And there were no fully equipped hospitals between San Francisco and San Jose. As the news about the epidemic spread across the country, frantic parents began telegraphing their students to depart the farm at once. Many obeyed, leaving lecture halls half empty. There was speculation that Stanford would have to close its doors. Fortunately, in the midst of the crisis, an unlikely hero was in the making. Two weeks before the outbreak, Frank Hess, a senior majoring in geology, had been elected president of the Students Guild, a voluntary organization founded in 1895 to provide health coverage for needy students. Although about a third of the student body had paid 50 cents to join, the organization had no money in its treasury when typhoid broke out. Nevertheless, Hess immediately put the guild at the disposal of the college authorities and rallied its members to help. Hess and an army of student volunteers commandeered the so-called bullpen over the dining room in Encina Hall. They set up an emergency ward to serve 11 male patients. They leased a boarding house in Palo Alto and turned it into a hospital for 11 women. Another house held eight patients. As the epidemic progressed, Wilbur, who drove the only sanctioned automobile on campus, shuttled between the Encina Ward and the Palo Alto infirmaries, stopping at stricken homes along the way at all hours of the day and night. Years later, a grateful alumna recalled that Wilbur had left the carnation from his lapel on her pillow. The doctor's compassion had a practical side, too. In a May 6th letter to the Palo Alto Times, he included recipes for chicken and mutton soups. An old hen, he advised, makes the best broth. Wilbur's worst case was a Stanford student who was just getting over measles when he contracted both typhoid and pneumonia. The young man survived, but, as the local papers noted, others were not so lucky. In all, some 120 Stanford students were taken ill and nine died. Yet, despite these tragic cases, it was clear that the farm had been spared the worst. The mortality rate for students nursed on campus was lower than the typical death rates for patients nursed at home. And, despite rumors that the school would have to shut down, 
only the last day of the term was canceled. To speed up graduation, the class of 1903 voted to skip their senior ball and give the money saved to the Students' Guild. The Guild purchased the boarding house on Lytton and turned it into the Guild Hospital, complete with an operating room and staffed by a matron and a nurse. Writing in the San Francisco Chronicle, near the close of the epidemic, Stanford President David Starr Jordan praised the way the young campus had responded to the crisis. It is safe to say that, but for the Students' Guild and its activity, there would have been four times the actual number of deaths, he wrote. If Stanford ever had a cross of the Legion of Honor to bestow, it would be given to Frank L. Hess. For Jane Stanford, the end of the 1903 typhoid epidemic surely came as an immense relief. By then, she was 74 years old, and the thought of losing students to typhoid must have troubled her deeply. At the post-commencement luncheon that year, the campus matriarch gently addressed her graduating class. The trial of sickness that we have passed through has developed a closer bond between us, she said, and it has been with deep and sincere satisfaction that I have witnessed the tender, sympathetic side of your natures. It was an example that would leave its impression, she predicted, on all future students of Stanford. The original version of this story was written by Teresa Johnston and appeared in the March 2007 issue of Stanford Magazine. Special thanks to Dr. Robert Siegel for coming into the studio to read the story. Stanford Out Loud is produced by Charity Ferreira and Will Rogers and brought to you by the Stanford Alumni Association. For more of our stories, visit stanfordmag.org.